Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. There's something unique about pheasant season in South Dakota. It's the plains and the people. The action and relaxing. It's black coffee in the morning and colder drinks when the day's done. South Dakota hunts are doing what you love most with the people you love best. Out here in the finest pheasant habitat on planet Earth. Enter for a chance to win a South Dakota hunt for you and your crew. Plus free shields gear at HuntTheGreatestSD.com. Good morning. It's Sunday, September 19th. I'm Blois Olson, and this is Sunday Brew on News Talk 830 WCCO. Sunday Brew is a weekly program designed to entertain and give you an excuse not to do much more before 10, other than grab another cup of coffee and listen to what's the latest in Minnesota politics, public affairs, and in the news. It was a wild week this week between all of the cases and stories connected back to politics and the courts. We'll talk about that with former Hennepin County District Judge John Stanek. And then the Republican Party, the state of it, and the ongoing saga of Tony Lazaro. We'll talk about the journalist who was getting ready to break that story back in March and April, and why didn't it break. We'll talk to Rebecca Brannon. And then this week's Coffee Clutch, we'll have Steve Karnowski from AP and Peter Callahan from MinPost. We'll discuss the latest. So grab your cup of coffee, or whatever your Sunday drink of choice is, and tune in to Sunday Brew. We'll be back with Cup One just after this. Welcome back to Sunday Brew here. We're uh, going to line up our first cup of coffee uh, on this cool Sunday morning, starting to feel like fall more and more. Joining me now, former judge, civic leader, uh, uh, a guy who watches the intersection of politics and the courts as closely as anyone, uh, former judge John Stanek. John, thanks for joining me this morning. Morning, boys. Good to be with you. So, John, as I was thinking about this week, I don't know that I remember a week where the courts and politics and political high profile issues were more in the news. Can you what did you see this week? We could start with the Minneapolis ballot initiative, because obviously that was on the front page day after day after day as it went through the court process. But as a former judge, how do you look at these stories? And, and is there something that you know, maybe our listeners don't see the judges are considering and thinking about uh, as they see these kind of cases. Yeah, it was um, an intense week. And I can't recall any time in my memory, certainly not in recent memory, where the courts have been uh, right on the point of so many societal issues uh, that have political overtones. 
You take just in the public safety arena, the decision of the Minnesota Supreme Court on the third degree murder conviction of former Minneapolis police officer Knorr and the implications that has for that aspect of the conviction of Officer Chauvin and charging decisions going forward, public safety uh, related, right? We had uh, the Minneapolis Charter Amendment that was before Judge Anderson at Hennepin County District Court went up to the Supreme Court on an expedited basis. And then in this public safety arena, we also had the pardon board decision of the Minnesota Supreme Court this week. All of those related to one of the you know pressing issues of our time, which is public safety. Um, and then we have related to COVID and the powers of the governor and the powers of the government, a case that was brought in Ramsey County District Court uh, asked the, the court to compel Governor Wallace to impose a mask mandate for students statewide. So, you know, on COVID front, on public safety front, and given the fact that we're in an election cycle related to the Minneapolis Charter Amendment, you know, the courts were on point for making some significant decisions on major issues that are facing us. Minnesota has done very well in having nonpartisan judges. Of course, they're appointed by partisan governors, but Largely, the judiciary kind of flies under the radar the way that it's intended to be. We haven't had, you know, highly charged uh, judicial elections like we do across the border in Wisconsin. Talk about once somebody's appointed, what, you know, how they look at their role, the judiciary role. And does that come from the leader of the district court, the chief judge of the district court, or does it come all the way down from the chief judge of the Supreme Court? Um, of tone, tenor, attitude, the approach to these things, because it just seems that even on highly charged, very on-point cases, as you say, that Minnesota just doesn't feel like other states when we have these decisions that are tied up in politics. I totally agree with you, Blyce, and I think it's something that we want to protect and preserve on a going-forward basis. And, you know, a confession, I'm an institutionalist uh, from the judicial system, um, I'm a big proponent of maintaining the integrity and impartiality of our system in Minnesota, but I think it's, it's cultural that spans back generations. And I can tell you that in my own personal experience, I was politically active before I was appointed a district court judge. And I had colleagues on, in the judiciary who I also knew that were politically active. And some of us were Democrats, some were Republicans, but there is an interesting thing that happens when individuals are appointed as judges in Minnesota and they flip a switch and they leave behind um, their partisan behaviors and they become a committed member of an independent branch of government, the judiciary. And I have found over my career, and I think the events of this last week, uh, bear this out, that the Minnesota judiciary is independent and is nonpartisan and is nonpolitical. And there is a separation from, we all bring our life experiences, but you decide cases based on the law. You're sensitive to the climate and the community and the political climate, certainly, the way some of these issues get phrased and brought to the courts, but you ultimately decided um, cases decided on the facts and on the law. And I think that's something that we never want to lose here and we should be very proud and just to extend that just one minute your question yeah. applied there are other states that are just partisan elections it's the democratic candidates the republican candidate or perhaps even more chilling to me in some ways is candidates that run for office saying if you elect me a judge i will decide this category of cases in this way now if you are a 
litigant and you get before a judge who's already pronounced that this is how they're going to decide these type of cases, what implications does that have for fairness? We don't want that in Minnesota. We don't have that in Minnesota. And I think that um, some of these pressing societal issues that have come through the court system in in recent times here uh, point to the fact that the judiciary is independent and it's doing its job with impartiality, integrity, and high quality. And I shudder to think that we could ever lose that. So I'm, I'm, you know, two big thumbs up on the judiciary over this most recent span of cases. Let's look at that Minneapolis ballot question, because you have uh, Judge Jamie Anderson, who probably most people didn't even know. uh, And it becomes a front page Star Tribune profile. Uh, Obviously, you can't speak for uh, Justice Anderson, but you can kind of behind the scenes is there how a how does she get that case and then b um what's the collegiality or the dynamic amongst the judges when somebody has a case like that yeah so you know the cases tend to be assigned on a random assignment basis in hennepin county the chief judge can make special assignments to a judge but in this case um judge anderson was assigned the case and then everything that flowed from that right there were Mm -hmm. challenges from both sides uh, Judge Anderson is well regarded amongst her colleagues in the legal profession and was a good judge to handle this case and did a stellar job, in my opinion. But I think what uh, sometimes people don't know or realize is what was going on behind the scenes in this. So you had um, a language for the charter amendment, and there was a challenge to that being too vague. We need to give voters an understanding of what they're actually voting on. And, you know, I think that the lawyers on both sides or all sides of that issue probably had Judge Anderson's uh, chambers on speed dial over the last couple of weeks because that thing was ping-ponging back and forth up courts and then back to the city council and the mayor's involvement and then a decision would be made and then back up to Judge Anderson. And um, this week, uh, the case then went on an expedited basis up to the Minnesota Supreme Court to review. So, when we kind of pick up our paper and read about the case or we hear about it on television or radio or social media, what we don't realize is these judge, Judge Anderson and the justices of the Supreme Court and the lawyers in the case were working overtime deep into the night on an expedited basis to file briefs and have arguments and uh, kudos for them because uh, having in the past been a part of some cases that move very quickly that's an intense period. I don't think we realize the human activity that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I think that is good. One of the other key components here that we have to be reminded, and I think we were reminded over and over through COVID of the, you know, the balance of power, the things we learned in ninth grade civics, branches of government, all those things. It's always a good lesson. Um, But the court, when they are unclear, um, can also say, look, legislature, you you got to clarify this or you have more work to do on this issue. And there's a couple uh, issues in the courts right now that are clearly from the legislature. One was the use of force uh, ruling from law enforcement saying the new law passed by the legislature signed by the governor is on hold until we have some definition there. And then there was a um, incapacitated sexual assault issue that came out last year, but now there's more guidance around it. Can you talk about how the communication or is it just what is said between the two, you know, between the ruling from the judge goes back to the legislature and then the legislative nonpartisan lawyers have to interpret what the courts say as they figure these things out? 
Yeah, you know, it, you're right. And it's so ironic because it goes back to our civics education when we were in school and what we learned playing out. And just as a general observation, I would say we have independent branches of government who zealously protect their branch of government. And so in the cases that you're talking about, uh, a case that also ironically got some coverage this week because of the new uh, elimination of the statute of limitations with regard to sex offenders. Some of that attention came out of a unanimous Supreme Court ruling last year on this uh, m- mental incapacitation uh, issue and whether a person who was voluntarily, it was a conviction that was reversed of a sex offender and it yep. got some outcry. Um, it was a unanimous Minnesota Supreme Court decision. The court signaled very strongly in that decision that uh, they were concerned about sexual assault, understood the magnitude and the impact um, on victims, but they basically came with language that said it stretches this statute too far to apply it to the particular facts in this case, but basically said uh, the legislature has a unique individual capacity to address the policy language. And indeed, that's exactly what happened when the Supreme Court decision came out. It was determined there was a loophole in the statute, and that was addressed by the legislative body. But you also see that playing out, uh, Boyce, and some other things where you, um, for example, on the pardon board, you know, Governor Walls has been yeah. frustrated by not the, the requirement for unanimity that the Attorney General, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, and the Governor need to all agree. And he brought a challenge to that, saying, I think two of three ought to be good enough. And right. it expedited basis to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled very quickly to say, and, you know, if you read the news accounts of it, the questions of the lawyers were like, where do you get this 2-1 thing out of the Constitution? So the judiciary was acting with to, um, you know, within its capacity to say, we have to take a, a, a view of this that is not to, you know, and the governor is advancing the argument partly as one of his public safety reform agendas. But the court said, you know, the legislature can clarify this, but it's not mandated by the Constitution. Therefore, we're not going to tip the status quo. So, you know, the, the way these things play out is is fascinating, you know, <laughs> to me, at least. <laughs> yeah, no, I think. It, well, and I think but I think that's the thing is that the, the judiciary operates kind of quietly. And right. there's case after case after case that never make the front page. Right. Um, our guest is John Stanek, former Hennepin County District Court judge, uh, longtime uh, observer of politics in the in the judiciary here in minnesota here on sunday brew um john as we wrap this segment uh look at kind of this spectrum of cases um and then think about kind of the culture we're in here too with social media is you know there's going to be judges on the ballot in 2022 um when a judge is on the ballot um they're largely independent of their own campaign they don't they don't march in very many parades, uh, those kinds of things. Um, any, have you heard anything from not specific judges, but, uh, amongst judges that they're concerned, uh, about the tone and tenor towards the judiciary right now, frankly, both from the left and from the right. Yeah. I think that that's been something that's been around for a while, boys, but I think that, um, uh, what tends to happen is, is the legal profession for sure, which has the most exposure to the judges, understands that occasionally judges are called on to make decisions that might be viewed uh, as unpopular by the majority of the time, but the decisions need to be premised on the law. And I think the legal community 
and those who care about the impartiality and integrity of our judiciary have rallied now for a couple decades to say, we need to make sure that if a judge makes a decision that is unpopular in the moment, but is predicated on their application of the law, um, that we're going to support that judge and stand by them. So I, I think the system is holding strong. I'm sure judges do have concerns. They're human beings. Um, But I think that the institutional forces that want to make sure we have the highest quality judiciary and independent judiciary in this state are holding strong. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And I hope that will continue to be the case. Sounds good. Former Judge John Stanek, thanks for being our guest here on Sunday Brew. And we'll talk to you soon. Great to be with you, boys. When we come back, Cup 2. Conservative journalist Rebecca Brannon will join me. She was on the verge of breaking the story about Tony Lazaro that links to the GOP. What did she know? When did she know it? And why was her work not published sooner? Blaise Olson here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Brew. I'm your host, Blaise Olson, here on News Talk 830 WCCO. For Cup 2 this morning, we're talking to journalist, uh, conservative journalist, Rebecca Brannon. She was working on the story about Tony Lazaro and the links to the Minnesota GOP before Lazaro was arrested, before the Daily Beast published its story. And I think this is her first interview about her work and how she had kind of started down this path. And uh, I wanted to bring her into the conversation because I think the elements of this Lazaro story are going to linger for a while, and uh, there's been a lot out there about it, but maybe she can provide some context and 
kind of how she started down this path. Rebecca, thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, thank you for having me. So Rebecca, you've been a journalist around the Twin Cities for quite a while. You've written for Alpha News. What was it and when, I think timeline-wise, when did you start to look into links between Lazaro, his behavior, maybe his business practices, and the Minnesota GOP? Sure. I think it was back uh, late February. It started all by accident when I went down to CPAC in Florida. I was looking to cover riots and protests. That's kind of what I've I've yep. done in the last year or so. And there was nothing eventful going down there in Florida, but I had run into some familiar faces I hadn't seen in a couple of years, uh, Minnesota activists, a good handful. They invited me out to, to dinner and I said, why not? And I couldn't tell you, I just, there was so much being said, my, my jaw dropped, but really? part of me wasn't too shocked because there were some reasons why I had left the party and stopped being a delegate a few years prior. And so that began the process of me looking into so much. I was hearing allegations of, of sexual assault being covered up by the former chairwoman and Tony Lazaro producing pornography in his condo. And that was a huge uh, red flag for me, I guess you could say, because we all knew and I had known, even though I wasn't a part of the party anymore, Lazaro had such 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 deep ties to the party and what had such access to the congressman to the MNGOP because of his close relationship with Carnahan and so I had been you know on the trail then thereafter March April digging into all those leads and what when you started kind of digging in um where where did you what did you think you were going to find and and were there things that you started to find or were people starting to talk that maybe knew more that hadn't said anything? Because I think when any reporter is working on a story like this, um, the public understanding where and how the story kind of comes together uh, is not necessarily something that's intuitive to most people. Right. You know, I think I was in a good position because I had some former relationships with these individuals, people I had met across the state when I worked on campaigns prior. So having that relationship with uh, these individuals uh, really did make my job easier when they wanted to speak if I reached out. Otherwise, they remained quiet and I understood why. I mean, you're a former employee, especially if you're young, who's going to believe you if you make a claim? Uh, and then not to add the other element of an NDA pushed upon yeah. you, uh, all those other uh, outside influences. So I think I was in a good position because of those those former relationships I had. Uh, but overwhelmingly, people still wanted to remain quiet. Uh, I was shocked the more and more I, I did dig, the more I did talk to people. On the surface, I just thought, you know, my personal opinion, Carnahan, I didn't believe was fit to be chair. I had stepped away from the party because of some yep. personal experiences with her. But I didn't know it would go down to such a level of of corruption. And, and there's no other way to put it with the cover-up of sexual allegations, uh, cover-up of some potential money fraud. And a lot of these accounts were, were corroborated. This wasn't just hearsay. And I, I trusted my, my sources. They had firsthand knowledge and detail that no one else could, could provide. And again, corroborated by, by multiple people. So um, to your when question, you, you know, I was shocked. Yeah. Our guest is Rebecca Brannon. She's a journalist. Uh, she's written for Alpha News, and she is working on the Tony Lazaro, uh, Jennifer Carnahan connection story before 
the story blew up um, Minnesota Republican politics just a few weeks ago. Rebecca, one of the things that I find interesting is that you were working on this story uh, and you were going to try to publish it on Alpha News, but you say that you were kind of stonewalled in, in finalizing the story for Alpha News or they refused to publish it. Can you talk through when you learned or how you learned that they weren't interested? You know, Alpha News has been a great outlet for me in the past. I, it's been a while that I've done some work for them. I would just contribute stories to them. I, I don't think the last time I've contributed to them has been since March. I did some video work for them. So I'm not, I don't want to necessarily throw them underneath the bus, but there were some disagreements about the content of the story. To be fair, I think they were extremely concerned about my sourcing when I had yeah. reiterated to them that, you know, I knew my sources, I had the backup information. Yep. Uh, there were multiple drafts and each draft just kept getting more and more redacted. And finally we got to a position where it was uh, mid or late April. And I was trying to push a story before Carnahan's reelection. Not yep. that that's how it was planned, but I, I thought it should be timely, especially sure. if here's a woman for reelection, a lot of this stuff should come out and it just didn't work out. So we, we kind of parted ways and I, I stepped away it was, and it was entirely, it was, it was very disappointing. I felt like I left, let down a lot of the individuals that wanted to share their, their story, even if it was anonymously. And then when she of course got reelected, everybody was more, more or less feeling defeated and, and shut down. And, you know, a lot of us just felt helpless in that sense. So. Did you try to provide the story to another outlet at all, or did you think about self-publishing it in any way, um, it, since you were so confident in your sources? I think by that point, at the end of the road, to tell you the truth, I was so exhausted uh, emotionally and physically because of the information that I had in my mind and what I knew and not being able to to get it published as I thought was going to be the plan. Yep. Uh, yes, I did reach out to one individual and I, I'm not looking to throw him under the bus either. Um, there, there was someone who was working on a story right before Carnahan's reelection. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, let me reach out to him. And I shot him an email uh, a day or two before his publication and never heard back simply okay. saying, you know, I had some information. So either, you know, could have gone to spam. I did yep. try. And I, I think you would just get to a point. I'm sure some journalists understand you work on a story so hard and <laughs> you just you feel like well it wasn't meant to be yeah no we're talking to rebecca brandon from a journalist who was working on the lazaro story um since the story broke since you've covered it you've also revealed more of what you found what you've known uh including lazaro's links to pornography you've been sued for defamation uh what's been the reaction from others friends, political colleagues, other journalists about what you've been through, where you're headed and, and just, you know, kind of what you were uncovering on this story. Overwhelmingly, it's been positive and I'm extremely grateful for that, especially during that week, I decided to, I guess, dump all the information I knew uh, early August when the fallout with Lazaro was happening. Um, And it just reinforced for me to keep doing it, to keep dropping that information. And I, mostly heard from a lot of individuals who were former activists or former employees and people not on my radar who had shared their story about their their experience with MNGOP that was whether it was intimidation or a sexual allegation um, those are the people I heard from and I still do that keeps me kind of focused on the path all right I'll, I'll keep 
I'll keep on this story. And there's so much still. I, I am sitting on a couple of things that I'm still trying to uh, dig deeper on regarding some other individuals tied to the MNGOP. Um, it, it just seems like it never ends. And so uh, everything I've reported so far has, has been truthful and I'll continue to do that. Um, but I, I'm taking my time, not in a rush too with some of these things because it's, and this is a story that keeps changing almost on a weekly basis, it feels like. So much information is coming in. And as you said with Lazaro, that, that situation in itself is going to linger and I think provide so many different new developments. You can follow Rebecca Brannon on Twitter at R-E-B-S, Rebs Brannon, B-R-A-N-N-O-N uh, on Twitter. Rebecca, you just kind of left that out there that there's a couple more things coming. Is there any part of this story as we wrap here that you think people need to really understand or things that you've either tweeted or talked about that maybe haven't made it to, you know, traditional mainstream media yet that people really need to remember when following the Lazaro Carnahan story? I think they need to understand that even though a lot has come out, there's still a lot of individuals, whether they are the victims of the sexual allegations or former staffers who have been intimidated, people are still upset. We're still in the thick of this. We, um, and I feel for them that this is not just gossip. This is not just hearsay. A lot of people have struggled for a couple of years in trying to be heard. And in the realm of politics, it's very difficult to, to be heard. It's very difficult to um, hold someone accountable for you know, being wronged. And so um, they have to understand that this goes deep and this is not just um, gossip, I guess you could say. And I'm trying to continue to bring light in, in the most objective and professional way about what's been going on and still some other lingering issues. Sounds great. Rebecca Brannon, our guest here on Sunday Brew. Follow her at Rebs Brannon. Uh, we'll follow. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. ...up on this story as it continues to develop and impacts politics in Minnesota. Uh, that's the way I would kind of view the way we will cover it here at WCCO and the way I'll cover it in the morning take. Rebecca, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Take care. When we come back this week's Coffee Clatch, we have Peter Callahan from MinPost, Steve Karnowski from AP. It was a busy week and the week ahead will be even busier. You're listening to the Sunday Brew on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Brew. I'm Blois Olson on News Talk 830 WCCO. As we wrap this week's Sunday Brew, the last segment is, I think, the most fun. It's the coffee clatch. 
And joining me this week, Peter Callahan from MinPost, Steve Karnowski from AP. Uh, each of them had uh, pretty big stories this week regarding the uh, Minnesota Republican Party, the race for governor, uh, and both of them obviously following the court cases that we talked about with uh, former Judge John Stanek earlier in the show. Peter, I'm going to start with you. You've uh, been watching this governor's race pretty closely. You wrote about the importance of these delegates. Uh, what what do you see in the race to be the Republican nominee? Because obviously there's a lot of energy and interest from Republicans in trying to beat walls next year. As you looked at the delegates, what did you see? Well, it, good morning. Um, you're referencing a story I did about how the Republican endorsement for statewide races is about as magic as you can get. While the DFL has... Uh, elected two uh, DFL governors in the last 12 years who did not get the endorsement and who in fact defeated the endorsed DFL candidate, that just does not happen on the Republican side. And it could be that their delegates are like super representative of their electorate as a whole, which I'm not totally convinced that that's the case. Uh, But it's more likely that Republican voters just think the endorsement is important and their first mm-hmm. default position is to vote for that person. So the point of it was just to say that uh, while newsies like us uh, pay attention to a lot of the gubernatorial elections as though they're already campaigning to a general electorate, they're in fact not. If they don't get 60% of 2,200 delegates in Rochester next May, they won't get the endorsement. And if they don't, they probably won't win the primary. Steve, you had a story this week, which was an exclusive interview with former GOP chair Jennifer Carnahan, which obviously is part of the dynamic of who is the Minnesota GOP right now? Where are the delegates? Where is the central committee? They're going to have an election for a new chair coming up in early October. But Steve, what was what was the mood or what what did you learn from former chair Carnahan who resigned, but maybe isn't gone out of politics yeah, she says that uh, she's uh, considering trying to run to get her old job or possibly uh, running for public office, possibly uh, for governor. Um, she said that uh, it, uh, she was forced out by a small group of uh, people who weren't representative of the uh, part, grassroots of the party uh, who opposed her in her re-election campaign about six months ago. And uh, she disputed the allegations of a toxic work environment uh, that partly led to her downfall is, and still stood by denying any uh, foreknowledge of uh, the bad acts, of, alleged bad acts of uh, Anton Lazaro, uh, a GOP campaign operative who uh, was recently indicted on federal sex trafficking charges. You know, she says that at this point, she doesn't know exactly what uh, she'll be doing, but she says she's been doing a lot of soul searching on her opportunities. And uh, she's... Uh, done things like she's hired a PR firm. She's got an opinion piece in the works. Um, And uh, she says that she's getting an outpouring of uh, support and love uh, from people all over the country. And so she's still contemplating her future. I went out to Marshall, Minnesota early uh, last week and uh, observed all the GOP candidates uh, with the exception of Mike Murphy uh, and their stump speech. Uh, And just on Friday, uh, Scott Jensen uh, announced he'd raised a million dollars. He's got $700,000 in a bank. Peter, you covered him in the legislature. 
you're watching this race and kind of the energy behind it. Uh, now Gazelka and Benson are in. Where do you think either do they line up with the traditional delegates? Does this change the delegate race? Um, any early kind of peek into the way in which the campaign compared to the party is kind of shaping up? Well, the, the one point of the story I did and also some polling that uh, MinPost had done the previous week was to show the somewhat of a disconnect between the types of issues and the positions on issues that Republicans have to take to appeal to Republicans and how often with one very significant exception, those positions don't resonate with the general election uh, electorate. One is COVID response. Um, you can uh, complain about the governor's COVID response and that does very well among Republican voters, but generally overall, especially in the suburbs, which are valuable, you know, you get pretty good approval ratings uh, for the governor's actions and the government's actions and also for, for things like masks, masking and, and vaccine requirements. Uh, the one exception is crime. Uh, mm -hmm. That resonates across the board, in city, out city, suburbs, uh, greater Minnesota, uh, almost at the same levels. So what the, what the Republicans have as a dilemma is taking positions right now to get them endorsed uh, and then even get a strong primary vote but then having to figure out a way to appeal to a general election electorate. Um, and they also, in the, in the Republican side, you are heavy weighted with delegates in greater uh, Minnesota because they delivered much larger uh, votes for uh, President Trump. Yep. So it's not one eighth of the 2200 goes to each congressional district, it's weighted. But that's mm -hmm. the opposite of where the state population is. So not only are the positions difficult, again, exception being crime, but the math is not as friendly to them once they get into a general election. But again, if you don't get the endorsement, this is all you know Sunday morning coffee clatch talk. <laughs> uh, so they've got to uh, do that. And I thought when I listened to some of the uh, stump speeches, particularly uh, Senator Gazelka's, He's starting to try to figure that out. So yeah. he'll say, I'm a pro-life conservative, but you know, we really need to also care about what happens after birth with a, with a child. You know, yep. Do we have good schools? Do we have good this? Do we have that? So he makes the comment very quickly to the base. And then I thought he's then trying to pivot to a broader electorate message. Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, when I saw him uh, in Marshall, I, I, it, I saw that and Jensen Jensen's speech was very still much, very much on COVID, very kind of red meat for uh, the delegates. Steve, you've you've writing for AP as you cover both public safety, the public safety amendment in Minneapolis as AP covers that. And you look at kind of these COVID responses, it, knowing that your stories move nationally often, is there a is Minnesota kind of under the spotlight from a coverage standpoint, either on the policing amendment, uh, which got decided this past week, that it is on the ballot or on, on just kind of the way in which Carnahan or the Minnesota GOP is dealing with COVID and the battle with walls? Yeah, kind of all of the above. It's, I mean, Minnesota is such a microcosm at this point for what's happening around the country. 
you know, as, as the uh, state where uh, George Floyd was killed, you know, there's kind of nowhere where these issues are more raw than here. And so that's why we've focused a lot of attention in the past uh, couple of weeks on the ballot measure here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out um, now that the uh, Supreme Court has let that go forward. But also the uh, political races here are also play into that. It's going to be a big issue in the uh, in the mayor's race and the city council race. And uh, so we'll be looking at that closely, too, in the weeks coming ahead. The next big uh, unknown is when and if there will be a special session. Uh, Speaker Hortman said earlier this uh, last week that it would probably be in October. Do either of you have a prediction on when the next special session will happen? Uh, to deal with COVID frontline worker funds or uh, the drought? Peter? Oh, I thought you were going to go to Steve first because then he would say, I don't know first. And I wouldn't have to. <laughs> uh, the, uh, it, it got worse uh, yesterday. I mean, the odds of even having any special session yeah. got worse yesterday. And that's because now uh, Senator Benson is making an issue of this vaccine records app that yep. the governor and MDH unveiled. And she is... Uh, comparing it to vaccine passports, which is also a buzz phrase, uh, and to say that MDH should have brought this issue to the legislature first. So if she stays on that, how can she not at least have a big hearing in any special session on Jan Malcolm? The governor is going to avoid that, and he's not going to give them the opportunity to not confirm Jan Malcolm. So I think the odds of a special session went down significantly yesterday. And and they probably didn't improve at all on Friday morning. Senate uh, Majority Leader Jeremy Miller put out a statement saying that the uh, governor should not tie worker bonuses to any other issues or agreements. He says that the workers who took risks to help others save during the pandemic deserve their bonuses for their efforts. So he's still resisting uh, the linkage that uh, Walls wants. And so I think there's still a stalemate. So October is the earliest, of course, but uh, that could be optimistic. A stalemate between the governor and the legislature. Shocking. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me on this Sunday coffee. But but boys, they can't even give away $250 million. You'd think that'd be easy. You'd think. I think we, the three of us, could figure out a way to give away $250 million. Right, Steve? Easy. Sounds good. Hey, guys, thanks. We'll have a great week ahead. I'm Blake Hilson. You've been listening to Sunday Brew here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Thanks for tuning in. If you joined us uh, midway through the show, you can look online at WCCORadio.com or uh, it'll be available Monday morning uh, in your podcast app under uh, Sunday Brew. Blake Hilson, talk to you next week. Keeping up with the flood of news every single day can be quite stressful. There is climate change happening. There's the pandemic, labor movements, Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend. Hi, I am Gideon Resnick, host of Crooked Media's What a Day. Each week, Travel Anderson, Priyanka Arabindi, Josie Duffy, Rice, and I are going to break down the biggest news stories of the day in a way that hopefully doesn't always make you want to cry. New episodes of What a Day drop every weekday at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's something unique about pheasant season in South Dakota. It's the plains and the people, the action and relaxing. It's black coffee in the morning and colder drinks when the day's done. South Dakota hunts are doing what you love most with the people you love best. Out here in the finest pheasant habitat on planet Earth. Enter for a chance to win a South Dakota hunt for you and your crew. 
plus free shields gear at huntthegreatestsd.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 